This is Spade, Spoon, and Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. Hi, I'm Derek Weston. Usually I'm behind the scenes on these episodes, but I get the pleasure of being the co-host today. And I'm Jennifer Baskerville-Burrows, the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis. And I am so delighted that we are talking with Pamela Dolan, who's the rector of St. Martin's in Davis, California, and author of Contemplative Gardening, which was published pretty recently from Church Publishing, like in the last month or so. And we are going to spend some time talking about the, that book and all kinds of things related to the things this podcast is about, the spade and our soul, gardening and faith and how those come together. This is going to be an exciting conversation, so I hope you'll settle in for it. So Pamela, we like to start with this question of where are you rooted? Um, and you can take that any way you want. Where where are your roots? What is keeping you grounded? Um, where Where are you finding yourself rooted these days? Thank you. Thank you both so much for having me on this show. I'm just incredibly excited. I love your show. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan. And, uh, and it's also a chance to reconnect with Bishop Jennifer, who I know from, from years back. I am rooted back at home. Uh, I was born and uh, spent the first seven years of my life in Northern California and then after that, uh, moved a lot. I, I mostly grew up in Hawaii with some trips back here. I have lived on both coasts and in the Midwest. And about five years ago, uh, I answered a call to come back to Northern California. Davis is only about 20 minutes away from the little town where I grew up. And it just, it just is home. It is home in a really um, tangible physical way, you know, where certain smells come back to me. If I'm walking, I, we have a, a, a short trail of redwoods here on the, the, the campus, um, at St. Martin's. And if I'm walking under those redwoods or near a eucalyptus grove, or I smell jasmine in the morning, it's like, oh, I get that deep breath. And I realize like, I'm really home. Um, I also want to you know, just acknowledge that this is, I'm learning a lot more about the history of the land this time around. And this is the traditional home of the Patwin people. Um, there are three federally recognized Patwin tribes and then several more that are not federally recognized that, that are very active and, and alive here in this area. So, so I, I feel very rooted at home. I feel very much like Davis itself is a part of my history and my family's history. And um, it just, I, I walked onto this campus for the first time when I was discerning the call and just kind of knew. Well, I didn't realize that you had those deep roots there, Pamela. I, when I lived in Berkeley uh, in the early aughts, used to get our vegetables from River Dog Farm in Yolo County. Yeah. And if you'd go up to the farm to visit a couple of times a year. And so it's just such a beautiful landscape um, it, is. it is yeah and of course Berkeley is near and dear to my heart too I was there as an undergrad so love it so tell us then about um how creation nourishes your soul like this is a lot of I bet we think about it all the time <laughs> so can you tell, and you've written about it obviously but can you tell us like personally yeah. how does that work for you um that's such a great question I I would say that for most of my life I 
I would have answered that question in a different way, which is through water. Um, I, you know, as I said, a lot of my growing up years were in Hawaii. And then I, uh, I lived in places like Seattle and Boston where there's, you know, water is water is all around. And I am a water baby. I spent so much of my childhood walking the, um, the beaches on Oahu, where I grew up, I could walk to the beach after school every day and just uh, just soak in that beautiful space of you know the vast horizon and um, and I know that is where I really experienced God in a very profound way for a long time and and the, again the tangible parts of water you know the being in it you know Hawaii's water is so warm <laughs> you can really swim all year round and and that was a that was a, a beautiful growing up experience and um, and then I hit my the the sort of the middle of my life and found myself in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, there is no, well, there's the Mississippi River, <laughs> but there's not the same kind of water that I was used to and uh, not the same kind of landscape at all. And, um, and I really, I write about this a little bit in the book, but I kind of went through a spiritual crisis because I was like, where's creation here? You know, I'm in a suburb. Um, I don't know the landscape. I don't, I can't find any landmarks. Like I grew up on an island where you talked about Malka and Makai. Malka means toward the mountains and Makai means toward the water. And those are your basic directions. And all of a sudden people are saying, well, if you go north, northwest to the, and I was like, well, what are, I don't understand. And through gardening, I just developed a completely different relationship with creation. And uh, it took time, but now I have shifted into, I'm much less interested in sort of the big vistas, the big, beautiful open spaces. I mean, I love those. They still, of course, speak to my heart, but I, I'm really happy to just like have a little tiny backyard where I kind of walk barefoot. And a couple of days ago, I found a ladybug. I had a little time communing with a ladybug, you know, lying on my back in the grass. Um, I'm much more looking for the detail and the particular now and uh, finding things that are very close to home. There's so much of what you just shared that resonates with me. I, I, I too, for a long time, the ocean, mm -hmm. uh, large bodies of water were sort of the things that feed my, fed my soul and, and still do feed my soul. But similarly, living in the suburbs, kind of wondering where is creation and all of a sudden you discover yourself creating your own little corner of creation yeah. where the details become more interesting, the details become more captivating. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've also had those um, moments of communion with ladybugs. So I, I identify with that as well. So tell us about this book. I was I was saying before we started recording that. Um, as I was reading uh, the excerpt of your book that um, this is the book I've been waiting for. This is the book I've been waiting for someone, someone to write. So can you tell us a little bit about contemplative gardening? Oh, that just, that means so much to me. I think anybody who has written a book knows that the work that goes into it is one thing. And I thought, Oh, once I finish writing it, you know, whew, I'll be all done. And then <laughs> the reality that people might actually read it. <laughs> 
<laughs> or might not, which I don't know which would be worse, you know, sure. um, it just it suddenly like hit me in a very, very, uh, heavy way. It just published last week. So I'm just, I'm just, you know, getting used to talking about it and stuff, but the book started as my um, doctoral thesis. I was um, working on a D-min at Sewanee, the university of the South. And, uh, I, at the same time that I was probably about to get kicked out because I could not figure out what to write a thesis on. I was a new rector, um, at the, at the church in St. Louis, the church of the good shepherd, and I helped start this garden and it was just a really fun, energizing project that we got going on. And I got super excited about it. And as I say in the book, I am not a gardener. I did not. This was, <laughs> this was all very new to me, but I got a phone call from this guy who said he worked for the Episcopal church and said his name was Brian Sellers Peterson. I, uh, I was like, okay. And he wanted to hear more about what we were doing out in the garden. Um, we were using a resource from Episcopal relief and development to have our vacation Bible school that summer. And so long story short, I have this first phone call with Brian and he happens to mention Sawani. And I said, oh gosh, I'm there. I'm doing my demon and I can't figure out what to write my thesis about. And I think I'm going to flunk out. And he said, <laughs> write it about the garden. Why don't you write it about the garden? And that was really essentially the beginning of this book. I mean, of course, we had no idea at that point. That was years ago. So that, I mean, that just changed everything. That was a phone call <laughs> that changed my life. Um, people, I think, underestimate sometimes the impact they can have on your life through a conversation. But I've had the pleasure of a lot of those Um where people just said something that kind of turned the light on, you know, and moved me in a different direction. Uh, so I did write my thesis. I did graduate. <laughs> I do get to call myself the Reverend doctor. That's a big deal. <laughs> um, no, but I, uh, so I had this, you know, I had sort of the beginnings of a book for a long time. That was, I think five or six years ago. And then, you know, life, I'm, I moved, uh, you know, I've, I've been busy. There's been this pandemic, all these things going on. And it sort of started as a, the next phase of it sort of started as a pandemic project. Um, but I, uh, I just, I think I recognize what you were saying, Derek, there, it felt like there was, a there was room for this. There was room for something that is not about gardening. Um, it's certainly not a how-to book. If you, if you need to like figure out how to start a garden, the, the, um, you know, very practical aspects of it, you're going to need to have more than this book to hand to be able to do that. For that, I always say the best thing to do is to talk to people if you can, not, not to look up books, but, um, I agree with that. but it, it, it felt like even in conversations with people who were doing the same kind of work who were, you know, running community gardens or working at a church garden, that there was a tendency for all of us to get very caught up in the productive side of things, you know, that, that because we all want to do good, you know, it all comes from the best place that we, we want to feed people with the, with the vegetables we grow. We, we want to grow the church. We want to be connected to our communities, all of those things. And I think gardens help us in all of those ways. But I realized that my becoming a gardener 
had changed my life at a much more profound and internal level. And I didn't see a lot of people writing about that. So I took the thesis that I had as kind of a starting point, And then I started filling in with some stories and some insights I've had, you know, since that time as I've been gardening more, um, because really the thesis was kind of about my first year of gardening. And, um, and this, this expands from that. And I just hope, I hope people will see, you know, it's one of those funny things. You tell stories about your own life and hope that other people see themselves in that, that, um, that those connections become apparent because even if the details are different, I think that some of the, the themes and the, the, the needs and desires are the same. Well, you know, you, you talk a little bit about gardening as, I mean, it's obviously a spiritual practice in the realm of other things that people do, but it's interesting how you've just mentioned about something about productivity. And mm -hmm. I know last year I had a tomato garden that produced half a tomato. <laughs> I mean, I just, it was, <laughs> honestly, I, I, it's in the wrong spot and I know it. And I, but I, it's the only place I had to try and attempt something. So we're going to do something else in this box. But there was a point at which just the act of tending this thing that I knew at some point was not going to produce fruit was still a soul nourishing thing mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was this participation and waiting and to see what would come even because I knew it wasn't going to be necessarily food, but there were lots of leaves and mm -hmm. things like that. And so can you say more about what you, I mean, just that productivity and gardening yeah. Well, as I say, I'm not, a, I'm a pretty new gardener and I don't think I'm a very good gardener. And I, I honestly think that that is part of the beauty of it. it as a, I hate to turn everything into a lesson, but as a teaching tool for spiritual practices, I mean, we have to be more comfortable with failure. The garden teaches you about death, about things not working. I remember being, going to a uh, conference for gardeners my very first year, and somebody said, until you've had your whole farm just die, you don't really know what it is to farm. I mean, you know, you have to hit those really hard places and go through those seasons where it feels like nothing's working out. And also just the, the everyday, you know, you tend to plant, like you said, you have a tomato and you think, I put a lot of effort into that half a tomato, I could have just gone to the grocery store. I think our culture is so afraid of that. I think we, we want to show, you know, what, what's the bottom line? What did we, what did we achieve? What did we produce? Every, everything around us is pushing us to be, you know, part of that system. And it doesn't feel like it's God's system. Um, it doesn't feel like the way God made the world. It feels like the way we're trying to remake the world. And gardening just kind of doesn't let you get away with that nonsense. I mean, I suppose it can. I think there are ways that people grow things that probably don't allow for as much failure and death and learning and um, all of that. But if you, you know, if you stick to pretty um, organic or natural processes. And if you're not throwing a lot of extra stuff into your garden that doesn't need to be there, you're going to come up against those limits. And I think that's a really profound and important thing. There's so much there that I, I just absolutely love. I, I think gardening does teach us a lot about our limitations. And this piece of productivity I helped to manage this community garden on the east side of Baltimore. And you know, we've we've been having these conversations about 
you know, wanting this to be a food justice project and say, and really asking these questions, what is, what does justice look like in our, in our context and recognizing that we're making it just like the, the tiniest dent in food insecurity in Baltimore. But we've started to have this group of, of autistic adults come and and work in the garden and you know they've got they've got limitations in terms of communication they've got limitations in terms of uh being able to follow directions and even even some physical um limitations but to see their faces and to see the understanding and to see the 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 small little things that are happening with as they have their hands in the dirt, as they watch the seedlings that they, the seeds that they've planted start to come out of the ground. Like those feel like moments of wholeness and healing. And like, that feels like it's not about the fact how much poundage, you know, of, of produce we produce. It's about these interactions that people are having with soil that yeah. are healing, that are reconnecting with God, that are reconnecting with their neighbor. Mm. And you made this comment that you are, you feel that there are ways that you are fundamentally different mm. from the person you were when you started gardening. What I'd love to hear, what are some of those ways that you think that you are, you're, you're a different person from the person who, who uh, started this garden, started working in this garden. Thank you. That well, first of all, your story. I just I feel like I'm gonna cry. That's so beautiful. I do I I I think the garden, a garden, uh allows for just about every ability level, every you know, I that was one of the huge learnings I had at our church garden was uh, you know, there were people who were like, I can't bend over and pull weeds. And, you know, we found other things for them to do and um and they loved it. And I really and truly believe that if all somebody can do is pray for your garden, that they are doing the best work that you could ask of anybody. Um, so, so wow. Amen to what you're doing out there. That sounds amazing. I was a very heady, I probably still am (laughs) (laughs) a very heady person. Okay. Full disclosure. (laughs) Um, No judgment here. Um, you know, I, uh, I have, a I have a doctorate and I also have an unfinished doctorate in a different discipline that I spent eight years. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm bookish. I'm, um, I'm indoorsy, <laughs> I'm outdoorsy. uh, and the garden, I mean, there were all these spiritual lessons that I learned, um, from working in a garden and that I'm still learning, you know, this is not, you don't learn it. And then you're, you're good. I, I know gratitude now. I don't need to learn that anymore. You know, that's, that's <laughs> not how those things work. But really, I think the biggest internal shift was about incarnation and embodiment. Mm. I think I had, so my journey includes going from being a Roman Catholic layperson to an Episcopalian and then to an ordained Episcopalian. And I think somewhere along the way in my theological training, I felt like I needed to be like this super orthodox, you know, very, very much in line with the official teaching of the church at all times. I think it had to do with, you know, proving myself as a woman from a different tradition who had been locked out of ordination, all that stuff. 
but I think I'd gotten a little rigid and, um, and like I said, very heady and living with the garden and working with the garden with other people in the garden my spirituality has become Amy it's such a much more grounded I'm sure you guys get these kinds of like you know puns all the time that you can't uh can't avoid. they're unavoidable yeah because exactly. <laughs> they're part of our our vocabulary for a reason exactly. and that just it, something just shifted during those first couple of years like Yes, God is in all these textbooks and in our liturgy and in, you know, in obviously in scripture and, and wow, God is in this ladybug and this tomato and this um, cabbage worm, <laughs> you know, all the stuff, all the things. And that has made me really, um, you know, I've, I've had to learn to take care of myself differently. I have to, um, I think about my vocation differently. That is probably something. If I could wave a magic wand um, for the Episcopal Church, I wish every priest had to somehow get connected to their land. You know, just... Yes. I don't think you can... This was a really big thing for me to, to say that I didn't think I was really loving the people I served until I learned to love the land where we were. I, I think you need that connection to be whole. And that would have made no sense to me 10, 12 years ago. Oh my goodness. So yes, yes, yes. And one of the things I find myself saying fairly often every week is, the, I mean, a first step to that is I invite people to get back in touch with their neighborhoods and not just driving to the church and driving home, but walking or taking your scooter or your wheelchair and just like getting lower to the ground to see differently what's around where our churches are located because there's a, there are many ways disconnects between the places where we worship and our and, and the communities that they're a part of and and there's something about being that intimate and so walking the neighborhood is one thing but then also just understanding from the ground up, like what is this place, this geography that's so important spiritually and mm -hmm. understanding it in a way that we can really just have a different relationship with and seeing how God is active in so many ways that we would never notice if we were just driving in or out or buzzing by really quickly and not paying attention in such a focused way. Well, one of the great things about Davis is everybody rides their bike everywhere. Um, so people really do, I think, know it's a small enough town that I think people feel that connection a little bit more here than in some places that are more, you know, car centric for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but we've also just in the last year been gifted some farmland in Yolo County. And oh. we are trying to, we're going through a process of discernment about what what to do with that. And uh, right now we're leasing it, but the plan is for it to become part of part of the, the church. And after a lot of kind of uh, intense conversation, you know, this is, it's, it's both exciting and kind of scary. I think churches don't always know what to do with big gifts. We decided to take at least a year to just get to know the land. And we're trying to figure out what that means even, you know, to listen to it, to become like friends with it, to, to get, to just walk around it, to be there in different seasons. Um, part of what we've done toward that is we have a speaker series where we're bringing in people to talk about 
the indigenous people who first lived on the land. And mostly we're bringing in indigenous people to talk to us, um, but also some other kind of scholars and stuff. And uh, we're calling it Seeds of Justice. And we're just, it's like, what's the story? You know, what? <laughs> we, we want to know the people, we want to know the plants, we want to know the cycles of nature. And I think that it, we need to do that here too. I mean, I've, I've talked about like that's farmland that's 20 minutes away, but, you know, right here in the middle of, of, of Davis, you know, we have, we have, we have this is land too. Um, you, you almost forget in a way when you're in a more suburban environment, like <laughs> this is still land. This still has a history and still is just as um, dependent on, you know, the climate and all that stuff. So. So I have a question about the contemplative side of things. And I just love the way you, you talk a little bit in the book about, I mean, at the beginning part that I've read about contemplation and how you define that. Can you say something more about that after talking a little bit about being wordy and heady? Mm. Talk to us about the contemplative side of this for you. Yeah, well, I think I say in the book, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Merton. And um one of the best investments I've ever made is getting not just reading him, but getting tapes of his lectures because hearing his voice and hearing him talk is really kind of amazing. So I had a pretty high bar <laughs> for what contemplation was supposed to be. You know, I studied medieval mystics when I was working on my PhD and I thought like, you just have to, you know, become something outside of yourself. You have to enter this other realm completely. And, um, and I did definitely did not see myself as a contemplative. Uh, I see myself as a much more, in spite of being heady, I'm still kind of an active person. I'm an, I'm an extrovert. I'm busy. Uh, you know, I like to, I, I don't know how well I really prayed except for the rosary and, uh, a labyrinth, you know, and, and until the garden, um, in some ways, cause I need something to do. So when it was first suggested that this would be about contemplative gardening, as opposed to gardening as a spiritual practice, I really had to sit with that for a while. But then I read Merton's definition, and I don't have it in front of me, but I know he said something about joy and connection. And then I, that was sort of like this little entry point for me where I thought, oh, wait, that is what I do a lot in the garden. I do find myself, it's funny because I, it appeals to me because it's active, but in the end, it slows me down. It gets me to pause and enjoy and find joy and find that ineffable presence, you know, that thing um, that we call God and uh, that I believe is the source of all being. And it, just somehow is more accessible to me in a garden. So that's why I think things like taking off your shoes sometimes or gardening without gloves when you safely can, um, you know, having some time where you're really in that um, tactile zone. And, and I do think it's very comparable to where liturgy can take us growing up Catholic and then becoming an Episcopalian, I'm all about like all the, all the stuff, you know, I want the smells and bells. I want sound <laughs> and whole body worship experience. We move in liturgy. We smell good things. We taste things. And that's all available in the garden too. So I think somehow, you know, I think it's just the way God made us really probably is that 
that's we've got all these senses for lots of good practical reasons, but also because they connect us to God. They're 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 those little avenues that we have that are just always available. So that's a good segue to our last question, because um, we want to talk about the sense of taste. Um, <laughs> what is the uh, food that just makes you sigh with relief, that just gives you mm. total comfort, total <laughs> happiness, total bliss? What is that? What is that food for you? Oh, I just love food. Um, <laughs> I've listened to a few of your podcasts, so I was like, everyone comes up with these very, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Lisa Ransom and she's like, I just walk through the garden and I eat my lunch and I, you know, I'm a, I have a sweet tooth. I am, I love dessert and I love bread. Um, I make bread. I buy bread. (laughs) And so for me, it's like, it's perfect that our Eucharist involves bread. I learning to make um, bread for communion was just like, I, that took my life to a new level. Um, so I'm a, I'm a baker. I really, I love pulling up old recipes that we've had in our family forever. And, um, I know the things that my kids like me to make, you know, uh, so that's, so really if I could eat bread and drink wine and maybe throw some cheese and like tangerines or something, <laughs> pretty happy camper (laughs) really easy um so yeah and 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 but also seasonal i mean that first summer that we grew these little tiny yellow pear-shaped tomatoes Mm -hmm. uh i thought well this is these are as these really are as sweet as candy like Mm -hmm. this really isn't that good and when they're warm and you pull them off the vine i mean forget it Oh my gosh, I'm so ready for summer. (laughs) (laughs) You can taste it, right? I'm just thinking like, you know, you don't need, I mean, that's nature's dessert, right? It's just, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, wow. Well, Pamela, this is, this time has flown by. I'm so grateful for just a little bit of um, an introduction to what you've been thinking about and writing about all these years. And I, I think your folks have been on it with the promo. You said the book's been out for just a week and a half, but I think the, there's been so much anticipation for it. It's been in my view for a really long time. So I, I do want to commend it and we'll provide a link to where folks can get it from church publishing. And if um, there are other things that you would recommend to us, we'll be sure to put those in the show notes. Great. Yeah. Well, your show is wonderful and I look forward to it. It's always just like a a fun and often really kind of gives me those moments of awe and joy and connection. It's so important to find other people who get it and who are doing the work and, uh, and just, it, it makes me feel like I'm part of a community. So thank you for doing this. So that's a wrap for today's Spade, Spoon, Soul, a.k.a. Triple S. If you want to know more, you can find us on Spade, Spoon, Soul Facebook page or email us at spadespoonsoulpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm grateful to today's co-host, Derek, for being on this other side of the mic. But typically he is our producer who, who helps us podcast sounds so great and so we're really grateful for him and all the things that he does in the food and church space as a presbyterian pastor and community organizer urban farmer filmmaker we also want to thank the multi-talented jay sidebotham for our artwork and ryan lee for the groovy music that opens and closes our show 
Until next time, we hope you'll find ways to connect your soul to your spade or spoon or both. Take care, everybody.